Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the fateful. Fateful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Bruce. That was a very big win for the Oilers. 70 games in, and they're still in big games. I, I, I'm just hoping they can um, separate a little bit not have to battle to the end. I really, in some level, it doesn't matter who they play in the playoffs if they make the playoffs. So I'd like to see the last, like if they can cruise in the four, final uh, four or five games into the playoffs, that'd be excellent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, give Skinner some rest. So today they beat the Seattle Kraken, their their main rival. They had almost identical records heading into this game. <clears throat> Seattle had one last overtime point loss, uh, loser point than Edmonton. That was the only difference. And now Edmonton is three points up on the Kraken. So six um, three win, Bruce. We'll do we'll do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. And because it's a big win, two good things each. You first. Go ahead. Sure, I'm going to go first then, and I am going to go with the uh, uh, as my first good thing the. Uh, Great play by uh, Connor McDavid on Evander Kane's second goal of this game. And uh, this was just an example of McDavid's quick, quick, quick hands that he's got. And he got the puck in the slot, and first he made a little five-foot feed off to Zach Hyman. And then the puck came, was kind of scrambled in the slot, and McDavid got a stick in there, and he made a quick feed back across to uh, Matthias Ekholm. For a one-time shot, and Ekholm kind of kind of whiffed the shot, and it was going wide, hit a body in front, and once again there was a loose puck in the slot, and once again it was Connor McDavid that was supposed to do it, and this time it was one quick touch and it was over to, to Kane, and this time no mistake, it was in the back of the net, but it was just how quickly he was picking off those uh, those bouncing loose pucks, uh, you know, in traffic. And getting him to a teammate three times in a row, basically, and the third time resulting in the in the in the goal. And I think that was the one where I said to my wife that uh, McDavid reminds me of Gretzky, in the sense of how he can turn a missed opportunity into another opportunity, like lightning. You know, the missed opportunity where most people sort of the natural letdown. Oh, we missed the net, or you know, whatever. And for the great one. And for the current one, uh, they're great at taking advantage of that chaos from the first chance to just immediately generate a second chance, sort of see the, you know, collect the puck and get it into a good spot before the other team can begin to recover, and bam. So that was uh, that was quite the sequence. Well, you know, a little more subtle than some of McDavid's spectacular plays, but uh, uh, this was spectacular in its own right. And uh, my first good thing. I liked Ekholm's play on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, just, you know, just he just decided to get to go for it and keep that puck in, and he got it in. He kept it, and he made he made a good decision. And because he made a good decision, um, that was key integral to the goal being scored. And um, he had had a fairly rough first period by his yeah. standards, but um, came back in the second period and he made a nice stretch pass on the next goal as well, I believe. Yes, he did on Hyman's goal. So, um, according to our records here, our scoring chance document, which often is a good way to refresh the old memory um, as we're doing the podcast. 
I was grading the, the game and, and when I'm doing that, I'm like doing the scoring chance document, reviewing the video, like, and then writing my game story, writing my game grades. So I'm, I, I'm oh, often a little, little bit frazzled uh, mm. by the end of the game. So the scoring chance document really helps. Uh, Bruce, my first good thing was Edmonton's second goal of the game. The score was tied 1-1 in the first period, anybody's game. And it was a fantastic uh, offensive uh, foray by the reunited, just for that shift, maybe a couple other shifts in the game, the reunited dynamite line of D, Drysaddle, Y, Yamamoto, and Nugent Hopkins, Dynamite, uh, who, of course, were so great in Leon Drysaddle's MVP winning season in 2019-20. They were. They were fantastic. (laughs) They were fantastic. They haven't been fantastic really since then, but they've shown flashes this year. They Woodcroft's gone to them quite a bit. And um, in recent games, he's been putting Fogel there. Fogel started the game on that line. Uh, but Yamamoto, this was his first promotion, I think, of the game to that line. And he spent most of the game on a checking line, where I, where I kind of like him, actually. I think Yamamoto mm-hmm. actually might be quite suited to that. But it's a good battle now between him and Fogel to see who's going to play with Drysaddle and Nugent Hopkins. And on this particular play, it's in the it's in the uh, Seattle end, and Leon Dreisaitl is battling in the corner with Jamie Big, Big Jamie Alexiak, who is quite a who has become quite an outstanding defender at That's the NHL player. level. <coughs> and um, <clears throat> Leon was able to hold him off uh, by puck protecting, which is a real testament to Dreisaitl. I mean, Alexiak, I think, is like six seven two fifty. He's huge. Yeah. He's one of the biggest players in the NHL, if not the biggest. And um, Drysaddle held him off in the corner. Puck protected, um, got the, the puck. I think it went to Yamamoto, then to Nuge, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, the puck ends up on Nugent Hopkins' stick after Drysaddle's great uh, puck protection. And Nuge is just so cool with that puck. He waits till just the right moment. He doesn't, you know, quickly slam it on the net or <clears throat> move it too fast. He waits till the he till the angle comes just right for him, and he slides in a gorgeous pass to Yamamoto, who's right in front of the goalie as he often is. And this time, instead of not scoring, which Kyler Yamamoto has done many, many times on Grade A shots this year, he gets off a real quick shot right along the ice and puts it underneath the goalie for Edmonton's second goal of the game. And, and you know, they never gave up the lead after that. And it was an absolutely outstanding puck protection, outstanding pass, and outstanding finish. It was just three great offensive plays. And when you do that, you're going to score some goals. And that's what made the Dynamite so great uh, back in the day, not too long ago. And maybe once again, that'd be nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of those uh, plays, David. It, 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 uh, for quite a while, I was thinking this might turn out to be my bad thing from this game. And this is one of those moral of the story type of sequences where you actually have to wait for the story to be over before you can really moralize on it at all. Uh, because this was a play, I think it was about a minute-long shift, and Yamamoto, not one, not two, but three different times had the puck in the defensive zone and failed to clear it all three times. He was, he tried to outsmart a guy just inside the blue line, lost that p- battle, the puck went deep. Uh, he, he collected a rebound in front of his own net, tried to 
breakout pass, but it had nothing on it, and Seattle stepped up and picked that off. And then the third time, he had it in the corner, and he tried to shoot it out, and it just went right to the point man and stayed in again. And I was grumbling a little bit by this point. But anyway, finally they did get it out and, and down into the other end. And the big play, I think, as you alluded, is uh, by Drysaddle battling hard with Alexiak. And Alexiak knocked Drysaddle down to one knee, hard enough to do in its own right. But while going down to one knee, Leon was able to control the puck and then make a play from down on ice level, passing to Nuge. And then, of course, Nuge made that slick sort of extra touch uh, that you were talking about. Yamamoto uh, himself in the intermission said he thought Nuge was going to fire on net. He was very impressed with that pass. And in the end, it was uh, Yamo managed to tuck it through uh, the five hole, and good for him. I mean, he needs something to go right. His game has uh, been struggling lately, and, you know, often what you need is for... Uh, just something good to happen, puck to go in the net for you, and it did for him on that play, and it was it wound up being a good shift for him, even though it had lots of chances not to be. In the end, it uh, he wound up the uh, uh, the hero of the piece. He's now got nine goals in yep. um, 46 games, so short of the 20 he had last year in a full mm-hmm. season, but he's been out yeah. several times with injuries this year. He he finally does look fairly healthy. He mm-hmm. looks like he's healthy now, and he looks like his old self, but he's not quite clicking yet like he did last mm-hmm. season. The Oilers have quite a few guys now um, with more than with ten or more goals. Eh? They've got, um, mm-hmm. of course, McDavid, yeah. Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman. They're they're all That's thirty or more. Then they've got uh, well, Tyson Berry had ten goals when he was traded, and then Kane's got mm-hmm. thirteen, Fogle twelve, McLeod eleven, Costin ten, Ryan twelve. And there's Yamamoto with nine and Yanmark with eight. So they and Nurse with seven. So they might get a few more. Yeah, Bruce, of course, the big guy with with 15, eh, Bukestad. Yeah, came. You know, he's only scored two since he's been here, but he can score. So you know, like there's real depth scoring in there. That uh, there's a lot of guys up and down the lineup that have ten or so goals. Yeah, after that after secondary four guys scoring, with 30, it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> After that second secondary scoring was so weak early in the year, like yeah. it was just non-existent, yeah, and they're they're true. getting it, and that's what's it's been a huge different difference along with Stuart Skinner's play in net. Um, Bruce, my second good thing is it? No, it's your time. Yeah, it's my, my turn. second good thing. Yeah, you just did. Oh, my turn. Oh, it's your turn. Yeah, your turn. Yeah. Go ahead. My second good thing is uh, on. A, I thought it was a crucial penalty kill in the third period, and this was when. Uh, Right after Edmonton had missed the power play with the too many men penalty, and Seattle had kind of been taking it to him, and the Oilers had a power play, and they only got one sort of semi chance. And then uh, Matthias Janmark got a hooking penalty, and it's 4 3 still halfway through the third period. And Seattle's been coming on really for most of the game, to my eye. And I thought this is a huge kill. And it was a huge kill, and they killed it. And one of the main reasons they killed it was two fantastic plays by Nick Bukestad uh, to uh, to clear the zone. Uh, and one where he had to go out to full stretch, to uh, which is considerable, uh, and just barely reach a puck out at the blue line and chip it past the point man and out to center. And if that puck had gone to the point man, like it looked like it was going to, he had options that were open. And so that was a that was a good play by Bukestad, and he himself was able to get off after that. But the penalty went on, and he came back out for the closing shift of the penalty kill as well. 
and uh, he was uh, again able to to uh, uh, to make a terrific play to bat down a pass out of midair, uh, take it to the boards just inside the blue line, and even though the defenseman cut him off there, Bukestad somehow was able to muscle it out of the zone in his with the puck in his skates and get it out into the neutral zone. And wouldn't you know it, it wasn't long after that penalty uh, expired. <coughs> in fact, just eight seconds after it expired, uh, that uh, Kane scored the uh, what became the game winner. And uh, Bukestad uh, went off, on, you know, after he made the big play to get it out, he went to the bench and, and uh, uh, I think it was Kane came out and... Uh, 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 Drysaddle fired the long pass up to him, and Bukestad, who'd come out of the penalty box, joined the joined the rush, and it just went from you know a, a tense defensive situation to the good play t- by Bukestad, and really seconds later by the uh, uh, by the all important five three goal because Edmonton was really kind of hanging on at that point. I thought, and once they got to five three, I thought they they pretty much sealed shut things down finally. In the last 10 minutes of the third period, and they gave Seattle nothing until the until a meaningless goal in garbage time. Yeah, outside of the power play in the third period, um, Edmonton did a pretty good job there. I thought mm-hmm. in in holding the lead, mm-hmm. um, they didn't they 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 were they were fine by that point of the game. They kept letting <laughs> Seattle back into the game with a number of just absolutely terrible defensive plays. Um, mm-hmm. Earlier in the game, and in fact, Bukestad made one of them yep. on the um, what is it? The third Seattle goal. Yeah, the orders are up four-two, and with five fifty-three uh, to go in the second period, Seattle wins the puck in their zone, and they're chase. They're charging up the ice, and what do you see on your screen? The strangest thing, you see Nick Bukestad. Instead of getting in the play, he's skating off the ice right to the Oilers' bench. And he could have disrupted that play right there, but that was that was the one of the most horrible line changes of the year. And there's been a few with the Oilers, but that's right up there because I mean I don't know what he was doing there. That's not my uh, bad thing though. Um, okay. That we're not there we're anymore. Still, yes, we're still at your. My second, second good thing, thing I think. is um, okay. I, Vincent DeHarnay's play in front of the Oilers' net is my second good thing. And it was typified in the third period with a absolutely vicious um, <laughs> stick battle. wasn't quite up there with, with um, what was it, Wayne Mackey and um, Ted, Ted Green. Green. No, or they hacked good. each other's heads. Well, they aim at the lower body for the mm-hmm. most part. And as long as they're doing that, it's generally okay. Yeah, chop, chopping the stick at the ankles and the you know shin pads and stuff, maybe even the thigh pads, as long as you're not swinging at someone's head. Remember, remember when the NHL a few years ago said we're going to get rid of cross checking, yeah. and Adam Larson started to take a lot of cross checking. Well, I, I think the cross check is kind of back, oh. or at least the slash is back because Dave Hart, he, he just lays down, goes away, David. Every yeah. single one I've been watching this sport for 60 years, and every year they have a crackdown on this or that, and they'll go. He just, he just, DeHarnay just lays down the lumber, Bruce. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he is the Kevin Lowe. He's a six foot seven Kevin Lowe out mm-hmm. there hacking away. Lowe's nickname was Vish for his vicious mm-hmm. um, uh, stick work. DeHarnay, like we haven't seen this kind of stick work 
from an Oilers defenseman. I think maybe Surrey or Pronger would have been in the last time we saw someone approaching this. And I don't even think... Not Larson, eh? Well, you know, excuse me, Larson, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We haven't seen it since Larson. Forgot about that. Um, he was, yeah, Larson was a master at this. But DeHarnay, Larson was more in the corners. DeHarnay, like in front of the net, it's this is his specialty. And man, did he ever, he and McCann ever go at it. Yep. I don't know how many times DeHarnay, I think DeHarnay hacked uh, McCann probably four or five times. And McCann gave gave it back uh, yep. two or three times. Mm-hmm. So that was an absolutely titanic <laughs> stick fight. It was like the what's it, the Jets versus the Sharks. Um, they were they were tied together at the wrists, going at each other with their sticks. Fortunately, no one had a, no one had a had a gun. DeHarney took a couple of pokes to the head too and didn't retaliate, which I was happy about because I have McCann in my keeper league. But because uh, Finney could have really, I mean, McCann was basically asking for the you know, a thing to get escalated, and it didn't. But Finney maybe thought, I don't want to take an extra penalty, and I, cert- and I hope I might draw an extra penalty. So he just took a couple of shots. But he delivered more than his two minutes worth by then. That I thought two each was a totally fair call in the end of that. Yeah, that was a good one. I also like the one, I mean, Vinny's got the longest stick on the team, right? But I'm guessing he still has the second heaviest stick on the team because Dreisaitl's paddle alone probably weighs about uh, three stone, you know. Anyway, uh, saddle he got a really good shot in too when Oleksiak absolutely crushed Kyler Yamamoto. And if you look at it, uh, I did look it up earlier, and you click on bioinfo, Jamie Oleksiak, six foot seven, 257 pounds. He's the heaviest man in the league by nine pounds over Nikita Zadorov of Calgary. And you click on the weight thing here, and there's one guy in the league, Matthew Phillips of Calgary, that's only played two games, who's 140 pounds. And then Kyler Yamamoto, 153 pounds. So literally, there was an over 100-pound difference between uh, Alexiak and Yamamoto. And he crunched him. Like, that was a big hit. And then the puck went over into the left defensive corner for uh, Alexiak to play along the boards. And Leon Dreisaitl came up behind him and just nailed him one. I think it was a cross-check. I actually have to go back and kind of look at that one again because they never showed a replay. But uh, it was more more Leon with the uh, instant retribution stuff. And uh, frankly, Alexiak, I didn't mind it at all. That uh, I thought uh, somebody needed to do something, and Leon did it. Just took care of business right away. And he's uh, he's a mean one when he gets his dander up. Boy, I wouldn't want to be uh, on the wrong side of that guy when he thinks he's you know his team's on the short side of some physical action. He's he's uh, he's very sturdy with the stick yeah the Oilers now Bruce have some major swagger on this team they've got some some guys who will not take anything from anybody you know so they have now they've got you know Leon's always had that that aspect to him Mm -hmm. but now they've supplemented that with not just supplemented but supersized it with DeHarnay and uh, Evander Kane and Costin and those three guys all have something in common their pronouns are all F you. Mm-hmm. They, they will not take any guff at all. And they're going to give out a lot of it too. So mm-hmm. this is a different team um, since, you know, since Kane got here and now with DeHarney and, and Costin. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. the Oilers are not going to get pushed over by anybody, I don't think, in the playoffs. No. Like no, even no. Dallas, you know, I remember we used to play Dallas. You know, I still have that, that those those teams lodged in my head, you know, between especially Darian Hatcher, of course, but there was other guys on that team. But so, Dallas, watching Dallas, and I, I'll probably regret saying this because maybe there's going to be someone who's going to step up in the playoffs, but they didn't strike me as this big, super intimidating team that they've been in the past. I mean, they've got Jamie Benn, who's a one tough guy, but um, yeah, it didn't strike me that at least the orders are going to be behind in that category when they play against Dallas. Yeah, if yeah Dallas, Dallas, I mean, it's been pointed out since Dallas was, I think, playing their fourth game and six nights on a road trip. So we probably didn't see them quite at their best in that game. And But to Edmonton's credit, they didn't really give them a lot of room to move either. Today they did uh, uh, give um, Seattle lots of room to operate. And this is my bad thing was in general, Edmonton's play in the defensive and, e- and even the neutral zone. And I'll limit it to the first two periods because I think the Oilers really took took on a different, uh, you know, they only allowed eight shots in the third after 15 and 14 in the first two periods. But they couldn't clear the zone to save their souls at times in this game. There was long, long shifts in Edmonton's end. And when they did get it out, it was on, on one of those plays that I call a punt, you know, where they get the puck out of the zone, but they're giving possession back to the other team. So it's a safe play to get it out. But if you only get it to the neutral zone, it's coming right back at you before you can even make a line change. And we saw quite a few of those. And when Seattle had the puck, there was quite a bit of miscommunication, it seemed like, between Edmonton players. And I think there was one goal where three guys all went to the same Seattle guy, leaving another guy open. And maybe it wasn't a goal, but there was a play where that happened. And there... I just thought their their intensity in the puck battles, like Seattle seemed to be doing a better job of getting numbers around the puck and and uh, winning more than their share of puck battles. And that really showed in the, you know, the possession numbers in this game where uh, uh, Seattle outshot Edmonton 37 to 23, and they were basically running close to 60% on all of the possession stats. And in a normal game, that team's more, a lot more likely to win that game than lose it. But in this particular game, Edmonton made their shots and uh, got, frankly, got much better goaltending than Seattle did. And uh, so we're able to come away with the two points. Yeah, that uh, first goal that the Seattle goalie Grubar let, let in off uh, Kane was not... I mean, if, uh, if Jack Campbell had let that in, people would have been losing oh, yeah. their, their minds in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. So... It was not a good goal against Bruce. My bad thing today is the defensive play of Evan Bouchard. Mm-hmm. And um, in particular, um, two goals in the second period where he was a major culprit on both of them. Um, the first is Seattle's second goal to make the game 3-2. And I've seen worse defensive plays in beer league hockey this year than Bouchard made on that play, but not many. I mean, it was that cal- that was that caliber of like, what what did I just see there? Mm-hmm. I, I think you like you know you know I I am a big Evan Bouchard fan. Like I like this player a lot. I think he has a lot to offer as a player. Mm-hmm. He, after this play, I still think that, although I was a little shaken for a moment. Um, Jordan Everly has the puck, and Evan Bouchard's. You know, he's he's kind of on the outside and Evan Bouchard goes to check him 
And Bouchard just absolutely misses the check. He's going mm-hmm. for the puck, and he misses Everly with the check. It just, it's just, it is just like, why doesn't he hit him? Like, why didn't mm-hmm. he skate into him? Why didn't he um, stay between Everly and the net, box him out, like anything? But he just mm-hmm. flew by. He not only didn't hit him, he he did a flyby at the same time. So he's like five feet past Everly um, in that instant, and Everly then has. Just walks into the in walks towards the goalie and fires home the, the shot. And it was like, what happened there? Like how you don't often see NHL defensemen <laughs> miss that badly and look so bad. Um, you know, I know that Evan Bouchard had his detra- has his detractors as well. And that moment was for them. They must have been very <laughs> they must have been very they all have their that. detractors, David. Yeah, each player, maybe even mm-hmm. McDavid does. Yeah, McDavid does have his detractors. I have a friend who thinks, who used to think at least McDavid should be traded and regularly would say so. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was crazy bad by Evan Bouchard on that play, Bruce. That was, yeah, it was about three different kinds of bad. I mean, first of all, like way earlier, Edmonton had finally got the puck and they'd broken out of their own zone with numbers and Bouchard joined the rush and they passed him the puck in the neutral zone. So far, so good. They hit the line with speed. I think McDavid was back because he actually made the first outlet pass. They hit the line with speed, and Bouchard just lobs his horrible backhand pass, general direction on Hyman, but behind him, right at the blue line. Hyman can't handle the horrible pass, and it comes back the other way. And Edmonton's on the back foot for the entire rest of the sequence until the puck is in the net. So that pass, I, I, I didn't like it right at the time. And I thought, oh, this isn't going to end well, and it didn't. And then he took that run at uh, Everly, missed him, and then he didn't know where the puck was. He's like looking around in the corner, and here's Everly behind him, dangling into the slot with it. And I've seen that before with uh, with Bouchard. I remember that game winner against, or game loser against Washington, where he came diving back to try and break up the breakaway and didn't. And then when he got up, he was like totally looking in the wrong direction, doesn't know where the puck is. And, you know, awareness of where the puck is is kind of important in hockey. And it this is what is. I'm hoping his new partner, who is said to be uh, very communicative, and Matthias Ekholm is just what the doctor ordered for him, that he talks to his teammates and partners during play, which is a criticism I had of Edmonton over the years. And Dallas Aikens used to have, this is how long it's been going on for, that they don't talk to each other enough on the ice. And this is where Ekholm... Uh, and I can see it a little bit. I want to watch a live game. You can usually tell what what's going on with the with the uh, voice commands in um, in a live setting a little better. But uh, uh, that's the kind of partner that should be able to help Bouchard, but didn't wasn't much help on this particular sequence. Yeah, you know, I usually I, because I'm kind of a crappy defenseman in my league. Mm-hmm. I usually have a lot of sympathy for for bad plays by defensemen. <laughs> I will defend them, but that's that was that was too much. Yeah, that was too much, Bruce. Uh, yeah, that was tough. Yeah, we'll see if Ekholm can help out. I I hope so. Anyway, then the next goal against Bouchard is also he's also um, a liability on this play. He wasn't the only one. This is what the one where Bukestad <laughs> charges off the ice and and allows the Seattle to gain momentum rushing up the ice, but it's still contained at that point. And uh, but Bouchard's way back in his zone, and giving up so much gap at the blue line. I don't know what he was doing. 
And, and so there was an easy pass then into the slot. Mm-hmm. And there was a wide open player in the slot because, you know, partly because maybe Bouchard's given up so much gap. Leon Dreisaitl starts wandering over to his player. He's, you know, watching the puck, trying to pick off the puck. This is Leon's main defensive strategy is to pick off the puck. It often works. But when it doesn't, then there's a wide open shot right in the slot. And Warren Fogle hasn't stuck with that player either. So wide open shot, um, goal against. Uh just four plays by four, four different other players that were really at the lowest caliber of defense um, for an NHL. That was the worst goal by far because there was four different players, I think, who had the potential to stop that goal against. Each ha- each could have done it, and each had to make quite a bad play in order for that goal to go in. So that was they should go over that one um, yeah. on their video review, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I heard Jay Woodcroft on his excellent, uh, highly recommended interview on 32 Thoughts with uh, Elliot Friedman. They did like a 40 or so minute in-depth interview. And he talked about video. And and Friedman or Merrick, the other guy, asked him, uh, uh, which is uh, the... um, what's the proper length for a video session? And of course, Jay was a video coach with the Red Wings way back when. And he said, the shorter, the better. He said, you know, two minutes, three minutes tops. He says, sometimes I go over because it's just too much or, you know, I'm just not quite in, in, in charge of it. But the further you can distill the message down, you know, find one play that represents, uh, several, uh, and to, you know, to find, uh, you know, particular thing to focus on of things that could have gone right or wrong and just keep it two minutes but he said even nhl professional hockey players people have short attention spans he said you know after a while you're going to lose them so you want to not lose them by just keeping it right on point and uh and moving away from it so then he said after a loss he said the next day's video session might be a little longer so that sounded like a threat actually <laughs> well, he's he's just dead right. And, you know, I don't like being super negative with people mm-hmm. like, you know, to, to give the kind of, you know, harangue that I just gave on that goal against about each of these players. Like he just that's not called for from a coach mm-hmm. like it's called for from fan block fan pundits, you know, mm-hmm. on a on, we're talking that's to other fans. That's what we're here for <laughs> talking. We're talking to other fans. and We're trying to be fair, but we're not trying to be we're not trying to be gentle necessarily we're trying to to say what we think about what happened in the game and and um so that's what we do but i think for for the coach you just have to be really careful and like you know i said this was kind of a typical mistake from leon you don't want to every time leon makes a mistake like that i'm sure as the coach you wouldn't show him that like that would be that would be too negative and mm-hmm. he's probably well aware of it or with Bouchard on that first play, every time he he makes a soft play in his own zone, you're not going to hammer them. But now and then, I'm I I think you are, and this might be that day tomorrow. Uh, you know, after a, after a win, you know, to just you know, they're everyone's feeling good. But uh, let's just go over two goals. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to look at two goals, and you players tell me <laughs> what happened. You might even do it in private. I don't know how they do their 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 messages. You know, pull them aside and show them the video pad. What happened? That, you just ask what happened there. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? Yeah. and um, have them explain their thoughts and uh, go from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the heck is going through your head in this moment? Yes, because we've <laughs> got to work on that process right right now, especially the Bouchard one, like the, it was three to one at that point, Bruce, where, mm-hmm. you know, 
uh, early in the second period, 3-1. And this is the point that you brought up with that back pass at the blue line. Is that the time for the defenseman to rush into the offensive zone with the puck and make a back pass to to someone else? Or mm. rush in and get it deep? Mm-hmm. Just keep it simple at that point. And I mean, I, you don't want players playing on their, you know, their back heel, you know, you know mm. being passive or anything like that mm-hmm. when you're up two goals. But you do mm-hmm. want sometimes a simple, easy play is the best play. And it actually was an that, easy play. He just put it behind the guy. It was just a I know. poorly executed pass. But a back pass is always just a little bit more. It was, side, it was sideways, but yeah, yeah. It, was, it wasn't strong. It was not. What is your number, Bruce? Yeah, my number is 100%. 100%. That's Vander Kane's shooting percentage in this game. Three shots, three goals. And boy, was this guy uh, in need of uh, uh, something to go right. We talked about Yamamoto getting one to get a little bit off the schneid. Well, Kane, I don't think since he's come back since the rib injury uh, that he's been all that good. And it's important to be patient because let's face it he's had two significant uh i'll call them bodily insults this year with his wrist being cut and then having his ribs either broken or 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 significantly cracked enough to keep him out for three weeks and so the first time he was able to keep skating with the wrist but he wasn't able to do much with the hands and the second time i'm not sure he could even skate much because when you got broken ribs it's hard to breathe let alone uh you know do anything uh do anything that's uh, involves exertion, and he's just been kind of laggardly, you know. And he had a few good plays every game. You can tell his quality there, but today when he got his chances into the net, they went. And the first one was, I, I thought, a, frankly, a sieve job by uh, was a Grugauer that started, yeah. and then Jones came in. Uh, but the second and third goals, which are really the only other two shots that he had, both wicked shots. Buried the one on the cross-ice feed from uh, McDavid before he get over there. And then on the third one, when he took that great uh, backhand stretch pass from Drysaddle and he came steaming up with uh, uh, with Janmark on the 2-1-1, one, one, he just kept the puck and snapped it right inside the corner top shelf on the glove side of Martin Jones. And that's where you're starting to say, okay, he's starting to feel it. You know, most players on a two-on-one, if they're not confident, they're going to try and force a pass through. It's something you see constantly. And the guy thinks, yeah, I've got the better shot of the two of us. I'm just going to shoot. And boom, into the net she goes. So three shots, three goals. And just like that, Evander Kane is up to uh, 13 on the season. And definitively off the schneid. And I'll, I'll go way out on a limb here and say I wouldn't be surprised to see him get to 20. Yeah, because when he gets hot, he's hot. We've seen that person. Yeah. I was just at the point with King where I was I was starting to wonder and fear. Like I was starting to just this last couple of days when I was thinking about it, like thinking, okay, he's, you can see he's trying. Like this is a player who tries hard. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, you can see he's nasty. He's going into the corners. He's really physical. He's, and that's really important. Mm-hmm. But I was starting to think, okay, can they win in the playoffs if Kane is just essentially the policeman? winning some board battles and making de- some decent passes to McDavid, but without that scoring that he's had in the past. And I sort mm-hmm. of ponder that question. And what a relief to see him fire off the um, those two, uh, the second and third goal shots. Mm-hmm. Even the first goal shot was a good shot. It was just he, the goal he should have had. It should have been stopped. But it should was, have been yeah. stopped. But just to see him 
that ability to get off those nice hard shots right on the money, that was really good. That was excellent, Bruce, because if he's scoring again, mm-hmm. um, if he can score like he did. So uh, my number is also, we both had Evander Kane on our heads and our minds. So uh, my my number is also related to Kane. Since he's come to the orders now, he's got 48 goals in 87 games. That's regular seasons, playoff combined, 48 goals in 80, uh, 87 right. games. That's 0. 0.55 um, goals per game. So the, in the rest of his career, Bruce, um, he's got 270 goals in 798 total playoff and regular season games for 0.34 goals per game. So he's raised his average from 0.34 goals per game to 0.55 goals per game since coming to Edmonton. He was always a pretty good goal scorer, but clearly playing with Connor McDavid um, has made a big difference for him. He's, But this is the good news. You know, you can say, well, McDavid is making this player, like he's riding McDavid's coattails, blah, blah, blah. But man, sure. to, have, to have someone who can cash okay. in regularly... Yeah. We've seen players play with McDavid who have not been able to score mm-hmm. on his passes. We've seen an, lots of players like that. It's it it's almost <clears throat> it, it's not the rule, but because we've seen some other players who like Maroon, who's done really well with McDavid. Obviously, Drysaddle, who does really well with McDavid. But um, like Nuge has never been a big. I don't believe Nuge has ever been a big goal scorer with Connor McDavid, and I don't think um, yes yes Puliyarvi was never a big goal scorer with Connor McDavid. So there's some good hockey players. Nuge is a, an excellent hockey mm-hmm. player. Pugliarvi has got his merits who haven't been able to score. And, but Kane is doing it. And for the Oilers to win in the playoffs, they're going to need, they are going to need Evander Kane to be, to start to approach his a game. And what a relief this game, it's just one game, but to see him reach that, that height. And I, cause I don't think those goals, last two goals were fluke. Those were, oh. he really fired those, that yeah. puck those pucks and uh, mm-hmm. to score the goals. I was very pleased, Bruce. First one was the quick shot where, you know, McDavid set him up kind of surprisingly because right. he won that puck in the slot and Kane just got it off before the goalie could ever recover and get over there. Fantastic. The second one, he had more time, like he carried the puck in and he had time to pick his spot and then he lasered it in there. So two different ways of goal scorers goals, you know, quick shot and great shot, you know, so... Nice to see both of them on display in the same game. And he scored, uh, you know, one goal in each period. And the order scored two in each period. And, and he was uh, a big part of the uh, of the goal production in this game. So good on him. My final comment of the night is just a quick uh, shout out to Zach number? Hyman. A number? Or is this... Oh, that was oh, my you... number. Oh, you Those right. I'm sorry. We were both Sorry. talking about the same thing. Yeah, now. I didn't. I didn't officially. I don't think I announced it as my number. Right. But well. my number is uh, his goal per game rate. Um, Zach Hyman um, looked like his old self after a couple of days off, a couple of games off, and that was that was a relief to see because he we we had been remarking in the podcast without knowing that he was nicked up and injured, that he had not been playing well. He'd been kind of playing iffy mm-hmm. hockey for about the last five to ten games, <clears throat> but tonight he looked more like his old self as well. So that was good to see. Sure snapped that 30th in. Now they finally got it. He had it. I think he had his 30th goal disallowed, I think twice. Jeez. And then he got hurt. And, you know, it's sort of been a couple of weeks waiting, you know, for the career high, career first 30 goal. But when he got that chance, he sure snapped it home. Nice to see that, too. Yeah. 
And nice you guys, Kane, 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 <coughs> Kane, Yamamoto, Hyman, all scoring for the first time in a while. And then that McDavid guy, he got in on the act too. So, 134 points in 70 oh. games. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. All right, Bruce. <clears throat> Any final thoughts yourself? Uh, a little shout-out for Stuart Skinner for a four-goal-against game. I thought he was pretty darn good. and I mean, that, you could see how ticked he was when the fourth one went in, even though the game was under wraps. And I was ticked, too. I wanted to, I wanted to see him keep the other team to three and under every game. And Woodcroft talked about that, too. He talked about how the Oilers are since Christmas. What do you say? 17-2-3 and three in games where they hold the other team below three? I wrote about that myself recently. I, mean, I didn't use from Christmas, so slightly different. But when they when the Oilers hold the other guys to three or less, they got a really good chance to win because they're often going to score four. And today it was looking like it might be six three in there in command. There was that little breakdown in the last minute, but Skinner himself made some key saves when it mattered because Oilers were under heavy pressure for the long stretches of the first 40 minutes. And even though it was four three after the second, you know. You switch goalies around, it's probably 8-2 for Seattle at that point. The way they were playing at the opposite ends of the sheet. So, good on you, Stuart. You were the best goalie of the three in today's game by some margin. I gave him a seven for that fair. game, even though That's he let fair. in four That's goals. I thought I thought he had a good game in 12 because mm-hmm. he really wasn't that culpable on any of the goals against either. So, they were on tough shots. All right, well, Bruce, thank you for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.